Sometimes a person makes a plan, but it doesn't work out. He fails in what he tries to do, or maybe even ends up doing the opposite of what he tried to do. And what do people normally say when that happens? Well, we say, well, at least he tried. He had good motives. That's how we think about ourselves, too. Sometimes we have a plan. We, we, we plan to do something, and it's all worked out in our minds, but it doesn't happen, it doesn't work out. And we say, well, I didn't do it, but at least I tried. I had good motives. That's what matters, isn't it? And of course, in life, sometimes just trying, sometimes just having good motives is enough. That's the case with our children, isn't it? When, when they're very young, there are many things they cannot do, but it gives us joy to see that they're trying, even though they can't yet achieve it, tying their shoes, whatever it might be. They're trying, and that's enough. They have good motives. And, and as we grow, we generally don't want to be judged according to what we've done or haven't done. We want to be judged according to our motives, according to whether or not we've tried. And many times in life, that's okay. The problem is when we try to apply that to our spiritual lives. And we still think that good motives are enough. When we think of God's law and God's commandments, we often want to be judged according to our motives rather than judged according to our obedience. But it doesn't work that way. Because good motives are not enough for God. We have to obey his word in order to please and worship him. We find that lesson here in our story. When when David wanted to return the Ark of the Covenant to its central place in the worship of God, but did not do it how God had commanded. We already read in this chapter what what David had done. But to understand a little bit of the context, let's go back to 1 Samuel, chapter 4, and the first four verses. 1 Samuel, chapter 4, reading the first four verses. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. So during this battle with the Philistines, the, the Israelites decided to go fetch the ark to bring it to the battlefield in order for God to help them to ensure victory over their enemies. Of course, that was an idea, that was a thought of a people very far from God who did not understand the meaning of the ark. The ark was not something magical they could bring into battle to have their victory guaranteed. The ark was the symbol of God's presence with his people. And only the high priest could enter the part of the tabernacle where it was once a year for the atonement of the people's sins. The idea of taking it out of the tabernacle and onto the battlefield to guarantee victory should have been an idea that was an abomination for all Israel. That's what they did. And the Philistines, though very afraid to see the Ark of the Covenant, fought against Israel and prevailed. And they took the Ark. Very soon we read in in the next chapter that God showed his power 
over the Philistines and over their false gods. And very quickly, the Philistines wanted to send the ark back, which they do in 1 Samuel chapter 6. And it came to the city of Beth Shemesh, where God killed many because they looked into the ark. It's something God commanded that no one should do. And then the ark came to the city of Kirjath-Jerim and stayed there until the events of our story. And the ark was there in that place for many years because it was taken by the Philistines in Samuel's day. And then we know that Saul reigned for 40 years. And then the events of our story are not right at the beginning of David's rule. So there is maybe 60 years where the ark of the covenant was not in the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant was not in its proper place. The Israelites could not worship God as he had commanded them because there was no Ark with its mercy seat so the high priest could sprinkle the blood of the atonement for the pardon of the people's sins. And David acknowledged in our passage that too much time had passed. If we go back to 1 Chronicles 13, verse 3, David said, Let us bring again the Ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul." David correctly recognized the problem. He was right about the need to return the ark to the tabernacle. So David, without any doubt, had the right motive. But the way he went about it was not right. And there were consequences. We can learn something from this story in terms of our own motives. God is not satisfied with your good motives. God requires obedience to his word. So we see in this passage, and God hasn't changed. Good motives are not enough for God. We have to obey his commandments in order to please and worship him. The first thing we see in this passage is that we do need to have good motives in order to obey God. I do want to start there because just because good motives are not enough doesn't mean that they're not necessary. David here was not forced against his will to move the ark. David wanted to do it. David wanted to do the right thing. And he was absolutely right about what he wanted to do. The ark should have been in the tabernacle. The fact that it was there on the property of a family in another city did not please the Lord. It was shameful for Israel that they were not interested in worshiping God as he had commanded with the ark present in the tabernacle. We can see here in our text very clearly that David had good motives, that he focused on God and doing the right thing. In 1 Chronicles 13, verses 1 and 2, David consulted with the captains of of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, if it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, to send abroad unto our brethren everywhere. David said, if it seem good unto you, and if it be of the Lord our God, David did not want to do anything against God and his will. This was something important to David. David was not consciously seeking to disobey God. But although he had good motives, what we'll see is he did not do it correctly. Let's start with this first. We do have to have good motives in order to obey God. Because let's be honest, sometimes we don't even have good motives. Sometimes we don't even have the desire to obey God as he commands us. And sometimes that's laziness or any other reason. But there are times when we don't do what we should and we don't always want to do what we should either. But a true Christian is going to want to serve his God. We may fall into that temptation when we go through times of coldness and laziness spiritually and difficulty and not even want to do the right thing. But a true child of God is always going to come back to that path that the Lord has set for us. The true Christian is always going to come back to serving his God with a desire to do that. Because if not, 
we face the problem of hypocrisy. Face the issue of people coming to church, good churches, our churches, and doing the right thing sometimes, but not with the right motives. Come to church, but it's just out of habit. It's just because that's what you do every Sunday. It's just because your parents force you to come out here. It's tradition, it's custom, it's habit, and you're here doing the right thing because this is the right thing to be here in God's house and worshiping the Lord on his day. But we can't be hypocrites. There can be times where, even with our Bible reading, or times of prayer, we're not doing it from the heart. And yes, every Christian can pass through that, but it should concern us. And we should seek the Lord that he might change our hearts and give us that desire again. Give us those good motives again to serve him as we should and to serve him for the right reasons because it says in Proverbs 16, verse 2, that all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Sometimes you might think you're doing the right thing. In your own eyes, your ways are right. You need to compare what you're doing and why you're doing it with the word of God because he sees your heart. No pastor can see it. No elder can see it. Your own parents can't see it. The Lord sees your heart. And the Lord knows why you're doing the things that you're doing. So really that's the first thing here before we go on any farther. To examine ourselves. All of us. Examine our motives. Examine our desires to see if we really want to serve God or not. Whether we really want to obey him. Or whether what we're doing is simply to do it externally so we don't have problems with other people. So our parents don't discipline us. So the pastor or the elders don't call us up and say, where were you on Sunday? If that's the only reason you're coming out, examine yourself and ask yourself why you are doing what you're doing. Because we do need to have good motives in order to obey God. But then secondly, and more to the point in this passage, we need to understand the consequences of not obeying God even when we have good motives. And there are consequences. Because God takes seriously how he is worshipped. God takes his commandments seriously. God does not see the heart of a disobedient person and say, well, I know he disobeyed me, but his motives were pure. So it's okay. No, God sees the heart. God does not accept any excuse for sin, not even when it's committed with the best motives. We've already seen that we, we cannot doubt David's motives here in our passage. He, he wanted to do the right thing but he did not follow God's command about how the ark should be moved. Look down here in verse 7, and we see how David did it. It says, They carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart. That seems fine, right? It was a new cart, not just some old piece of garbage they found lying around. The next verse, we see they accompanied it with music, with joy. It says, David and all Israel played before God with all their might, with singing, harps, psalteries, timbrels, cymbals, with trumpets. They were praising the Lord and worshiping him as they brought the ark on the cart. The problem is that God had commanded that the ark, when it was to be moved, be carried on the shoulders of the Levites. And not just any Levites, but specifically the Kohathites. Turn back in our Bibles to Numbers chapter 3. We can see what God had commanded. Numbers chapter 3, verses 29 to 31. Numbers chapter 3, verses 29 to 31. The families of the sons of Kohash shall pitch on the side of the tabernacle southward. 
And the chief of the house of the father of the families of the Kohathites shall be Eliasphan, the son of Uzziel, and their charge shall be the ark, and the table, and the candlestick, and the altars, and the vessels of the sanctuary wherewith they minister, and the hanging, and all the service thereof. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, shall be chief over the chief of the Levites, and, shall be the, and have the oversight of them that keep the charge of the sanctuary. And then if we read in chapter 4, we can see how they were to prepare the ark before moving it. They could not touch it. They had to carry it by poles that were put into the rings of the ark. The point is that God had shown very clearly how the ark was to be moved. But David did not pay attention to what God had commanded. He had the best of motives, but he did it differently. The ark was carried in a cart, which God had specifically forbidden. That's what the Philistines did when they returned it to Israel, if you remember. And there were disastrous consequences then and here as well, because back in 1 Chronicles 13, verses 9 and 10, we read that when they came to the threshing floor of Kaidan, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. Now, that would have not happened if the ark had been carried as it should have been, on the shoulders of the Levites. The only reason that happened is because the ark was in a new cart, and on the way it almost fell because the oxen were stumbling. And of course, Uzzah didn't want the ark to fall. What a disaster that would have been for the ark of the covenant to be down in the dust. And so he did the most normal and natural thing possible in extending his hand to steady it. But no one could touch the ark and live. And God killed Uzzah. A man lost his life due to the fact that David wanted to do something with good motives, but did not seek the Lord in order to know how to do it. And Uzzah's death was not the only consequence. All this also affected David and his relationship with the Lord. It says in verse 11, And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Wherefore, that place is called Perizazah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? It says first that David was displeased. It literally means that he was angry. David was angry that God had killed Uzzah. Can I imagine his thought at that moment? God, how is it possible you killed Uzzah? Why did you ruin the day? I wanted to return the ark after so many years to the tabernacle where it should have been all, all along so we can worship you as we should. I did all this for you, and this is how you repay me. You killed a man. David was angry. No doubt he was angry because he knew he had done it with good motives. But God had to teach him that good motives were not enough. God wanted to be obeyed. Also read that David was afraid. Well, of course he was. He, he didn't know what to do. He didn't want to try again. Maybe something worse would happen. He didn't want someone else to die. And so David's disobedience affected his relationship with God, just like sin always does. There are consequences when we have good motives but disobey God because disobedience is disobedience, even if we want to do something good. And God will send consequences so we will learn. Maybe no one's going to die, but your sin can ruin someone else's life, can ruin a family, can ruin a church, can ruin... Your own, your own relationship with the Lord, it affects your relationship with God when you sin. You get angry with God because maybe you don't know God like you, like you think you do. And you're angry because he did something that you think he didn't have a right to do. Or maybe you're afraid because 
you think, I, I no longer know what to do. I tried to do this thing with good motives, and, and the Lord seemed to punish me for it, and you're afraid. But don't respond like that. Don't respond like David. When you sin, instead of being angry with the Lord, instead of being afraid, run to him. Is that the reason why Christ died? Christ died so that we might have access to our Father. Christ died to be a mediator, an intercessor for us. And many times Christians sin, or sometimes we fall into great sins, and the last thing we want to do is to turn to the Lord and pray to Him. Very much like the prodigal son, we stay with the pigs for a while longer, and even if we think about going back to our Father and asking for forgiveness, we don't think the relationship can be restored. And that's all the lie of the devil. Because Christ died so that when his children sin, we can run to the Lord and know that our sins are cleansed by the blood of Christ and we can be restored to the relationship with God that we had before. Don't respond like David. Spend time in the word. Get to know God. Get to know his law. Learn from the will of God because the will of God is not hidden. It's written right here in his word so that you can obey him with good motives. Which is what David had to do here. David had to learn to no longer trust his own plans or his own counsel or the counsel of others. David had to learn to return to the word of God to learn what to do. Which is the final thing we see here in this passage is that we need to seek right counsel in order to obey God. Because we can disobey God with the best of motives and it's still disobedience. So how do we know what to do? How do we know how to obey God? Not just have good motives, but obey him as we should. And of course, the answer is that we find God's will in his word. We've already seen here that David spoke about God's will in verse 2. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, if it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God. If we can put it in our own terms, he said, if it's God's will, let's do this thing. David said the right thing. David said that he wanted to do God's will. And again, we don't doubt that was his motive. But notice that he consulted with other people and not with God. He did not consult God's word because God had already said what to do with the ark when it was to be moved. And although David said the right words with his mouth, he said, if it be God's will, he ignored God's word. He said the right words, but he ignored God's word. Now, he did seek advice. He didn't make the decision alone. It says he sought advice in verse 1 with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. In verse 2, it says he consulted with the congregation. Verse 4, all the congregation said they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. But the problem is that he didn't seek God. It seems like no one he consulted with said, David, you better read the part of the law where it says what to do in situations like this. Because God had already said what to do. And because of that, it didn't matter that everything seemed right to all the people. It didn't matter that everyone else agreed. David sought counsel in the wrong place. He went to the wrong place first. He should have gone straight to God's word. And that teaches us we need to pay more attention to God's word than even to human counsel. Because God had not left David without knowing what to do. David did not have to guess about how to move the Ark of the Covenant. And God has not left us without knowing what to do either. Now maybe David had to search. Maybe he didn't know by heart. Maybe he hadn't memorized that passage in Numbers 
where God said what to do with the Levites and how to carry the ark and all those things, but he could have looked it up. He could have sought the Lord in his word and, and looked at what to do. It's the same with us. There's really no difference. We have God's word in our own language, in our hands, and no, we, maybe we haven't memorized the entire Bible to know where every verse is, but we can consult the word of God and we can go to God's word first before anything else. Now, that doesn't mean we never talk to anybody else. I don't want us to go to extremes here either. It doesn't mean that we never talk to anybody else and only go to God. In Proverbs it says, in the multitude of counselors there is safety, there's wisdom. But there's a question of who are you talking to as well. Because sometimes you say, yes, I've talked to lots of people, I've consulted with people about this, and they've all given me the same answer. That's probably the first problem, they've all given you the same answer. Stop talking to people who are going to give you the answer that you're already looking for. Speak to godly men and women, be your own parents, here in the church, that will give you good, biblical, godly advice, whether it's what, what you want to hear or not. I did speak to the young people on Friday. We, we talked about the Lord's will and how we can, I don't like the word find the Lord's will, how we can seek after the Lord and be in his will. But young people, when you're at the point of making big decisions in your lives. It's important not just to consult your friends. It's important not to just think about what the people around you are doing. You go to God's word first. You go to him for counsel. And then afterwards, you talk to godly men and women who can give you good advice. But we can't trust in the words of men without consulting God's word. We, we never seek the counsel of others before we seek the counsel of God. And that is our tendency. We know better, and we know that we shouldn't do that, but so many times we're asking people for advice before we've sat down with the word open before us in prayer and asking the Lord for his leading. And we should never heed the counsel of others when it goes against the word of God. And these things are real. You know it as well as I do. It's in my own church and my own ministry. But I've seen people make wrong choices simply because they paid more attention to what their family members said than to what God says simply because they put more weight on the counsel of either unbelievers or the counsel of people not spending time in the Word of God. And the influence that we all have in our culture, and especially those who are spending too much time in worldly things, whether that be what you watch, what you listen to, all those things affect us. And when we come to make decisions, we find our decisions are being molded by the world instead of being informed by the word of God. That's why in every church of pastors, the elders are so concerned, we should be concerned. But what our people are watching, what our people are listening to, what, are we, what we are receiving, because, folks, the world is not neutral. There's nothing neutral about what, about what the world produces. It's designed to pull us away from God, and it's a sad situation when in our churches, there are so many people who are more influenced by the world than by the word of God. You need to form the habit of seeking God in his word and in prayer before making decisions. But sometimes we have the best motives. Sometimes we really think we're doing the right thing. But that decision can still be sinful because it's not based on the word of God. On the other hand, we can see what happened here in our passage when David and Israel did obey when David did seek God in his word to learn how to do it correctly. If we go over to chapter 15, 1 Chronicles 15, if we just read a few verses, 
Beginning in verse 1, And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to his place, which he had prepared for it. And David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites and enlisted them. Go down to verse 11. And David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priest and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asaiah, and Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab, and said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. David realized his mistake. David realized what he had done. At some point in the intervening time between these two passages, David realized that he had not sought the Lord. David remembered or was told that this has already been written down what you should do, and David went about doing it correctly. And he did in the beginning of chapter 16. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it, and they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And now they did it right. Now David not only had good motives, but he also obeyed. He did it the way God commanded it, and it worked. God blessed it. That's what we want. That's what we want as Christians, to have good motives, to have the right desire, to do it from our heart, but also to always obey God according to his word. So let's not be deceived by the saying that's so common in our day, People say the only important thing is that you do it from the heart. And that is quite simply untrue. That is not the only thing that matters because many times you can do something from the heart and it's still sin against the Lord. I don't want to be misunderstood. Of course, we have to do things from the heart. We don't want to fall into hypocrisy either, but we can have the best motives. We can have good motives and still disobey God. I've said many times in my own church, that I do not doubt the motives of the vast majority of people in my church. I, I believe them. I really do believe them when they tell me that they want to make changes. I believe them when they come up after service and say, Pastor, I, I want to pray more. I want to spend more time with God. I want to participate more in church, whatever it is. I'm not God to see the hearts. I believe they have good motives. I don't doubt the same thing here either as well. I do not doubt for a moment that this church is full of Christians with good motives. But while your motives may be good and, and true about many things, you may still be living in sin against the Lord because you are not obeying him. And maybe it's a situation where everybody else understands, everybody understands why you don't, whatever it is, or you do, whatever the situation is. Humanly speaking, every person you talk to understands why you have such a hard time with whatever it is. It doesn't matter. What does God say? Don't simply seek the approval of other people, but sometimes they're wrong, just as here in our text. Seek God and his word to know what to do. Perhaps the most direct and obvious application here is to do with our worship of God. That's the context of the story. The Ark of the Covenant symbolized God's presence. It should have been in the tabernacle where God was worshipped by sacrifice. 
We know God teaches about the subject of worship in the New Testament as well. Christ says in John 4, 24, God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We have to worship in spirit from the heart. We never want formalistic worship. We don't want to do something externally and not do it from the heart. But we also worship in truth, in spirit, from the heart, but also in truth. We truly worship, which means there is a false way to worship. There are ways that go against his truth. And that's why in our churches, we only include in worship the elements God has commanded in his word. We have no right to add unbiblical elements of worship into the service because God cares how he's worshipped. We have no right to change those things. We need to obey God from the heart, but we need to obey God. It is not enough to come to church on Sundays with good motives. We have to worship him as he is commanded or in disobedience to him. And our churches, brethren, are not better than other churches around. But one thing that the Lord has allowed us to preserve is specifically that fact that we worship the Lord still in our churches here in truth. That we have not added those other elements that many other churches have added to bring people in, to fill the pews, that's attractive, that brings in the young people. We have not succumbed to that, and I pray the Lord we never do. Because we are to worship the Lord with good motives and from the heart, but we must obey him, and he tells us how he is to be worshipped, and we have no right ever to change those things. But then what we study today is much more, has a much broader application than just the public worship of God on Sundays. It applies to everything in our Christian lives. Whatever decision you make, You have to be sure that you're in obedience to God and his word and not just doing something with good motives. Your good motives are not enough. You can say you desire, and you might really desire to come to church consistently every time the doors are open and it's possible to come. You you may say, I desire, you may really desire to read God's word, to pray, to love others, whatever it may be in the Christian life. You may desire that, but if you're not doing it, you're in disobedience. See, what I want to do is take away the excuse this morning that good motives are enough. No, Pastor, God sees my heart. God knows what I want to do. Absolutely, God sees your heart. But if you're not obeying him, your motives aren't going to save you. God is going to discipline you for your disobedience to his law, whatever your motive may be. But the area in which this applies most importantly is in terms of salvation. To be saved, good motives are not enough. And I say that's the most important application because it has to do with the human soul. I believe there are millions and millions of people who have good motives about their relationship with God. They have a desire to be with Him forever. I don't doubt that that many people truly think they know God. They honestly believe that the way to be right with God is to do good works, live a peaceful life, help others, and not do evil things. A lot of people really believe that. There are so many people with good motives. So many people that want to be good fathers and mothers and husbands and wives. They want to be good workers and good neighbors and good friends. They have good motives as to what they do. But good motives are not enough for salvation. You have to know God and be his child to live with him forever. God requires obedience. Salvation is what God says it is. And God says in his word in James 2.10... For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. You may be here and you have good motives. 
you really, really try to live a good life. You really try to be a good husband or wife, father or mother. You're trying to do your best and obey God as much as you can so that he'll allow you into heaven when you die. But if you sin once, you go to hell. We have to confront the problem before we come to the solution. And I think in our day, many people have not understood that point. So many people say, I I try to keep God's law. I have good motives. I try to do this and this and this. And you can say to them, I believe you. I believe you have good motives. I believe that you try. But if you sin one time, you're separated from God forever. Because good motives are not enough. God requires perfect obedience for salvation. Of course, we can't obey perfectly. But Christ came and did that for us. And that's the gospel that's preached from this pulpit every Sunday. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. First, you have to understand your sin before God, that you cannot save yourself. That only the perfect life and the death on the cross of Jesus Christ can save you from your sin. You need to heed my words, friends, because hell will be filled with people with good motives. They had good motives. But they did not understand the gospel and were not saved. You say, there may be someone here with really good motives. That's why you're here today. Because you have good motives. You want to do the right thing. You want to love God. You want to treat others with respect. You want to live a good life. You really do. But your good motives are not enough to save you. The only thing your good motives can do are condemn you forever. You have to obey what God says and repent of your sins. It is only possible if you recognize that you are a sinner and you understand what your sins deserve, the wrath and curse of God. You have to believe in Christ alone for salvation. Salvation is in Christ alone, through grace alone, through faith alone, not depending on yourself, not depending on anyone else, not depending on church not depending on your good motives. Ask the Lord for repentance from your sins and faith to believe in him and be saved. May we understand the seriousness of this matter. In our passage, Uzzah paid the price for David's disobedience. Uzzah paid with his life. And that's why David reacted the way he reacted because he realized that his disobedience had cost someone else their life. That's why he was afraid of God at this time. So may we never forget that what we do, even with the best of motives, can have a great effect on others. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you've done recently. Think about the decisions you've made recently in your life and your family. God is not going to ignore your sin just because you had good motives. What sin have you committed recently with the best of motives? What have you done, what have you said recently that you did with good motives but was actually sin against God? It's time to acknowledge your sin. Maybe ask someone else's forgiveness for what you've done. Sometimes we've done or said something in our marriages or with our children. Or we said or done something in our local church that's offended someone, that's hurt someone. You say, it wasn't my intention, I didn't mean to. That wasn't my motive. Maybe you had a good motive for what you did or said, but you hurt or offended your brother in some way. You caused problems in the church. You caused problems in your family. Ask the Lord for forgiveness and ask the person for forgiveness as well. And let's always remember that our sin has consequences, not just in our own lives, but also in the lives of others. In this passage, although David said the right words, if it be God's will, 
He ignored God's word in order to do his own will. We do the same thing so many times. It's a problem that we all have. We say the right thing. If it be God's will, in the will of God, God willing, we say that all the time. And yet we don't consult the word of God in order to do his will. It's not that we want to disobey God. We have good motives. We're not seeking to disobey God. We're not trying to ignore what he says. But we think our good motives are enough. We think our desire is enough. They're not good enough for God. He requires our obedience in order to please and worship him. May God open our eyes that we obey him as he has commanded and as he deserves.